Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, already we have had, I believe, a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit this morning. Phenomenal, because God is a God of love. And already, well, when when I came up, I thought she was actually going to come up to tell us that she's got a beautiful, wonderful, sexy husband, because he's certainly got the badge on today. But uh, we're in for a Bible study, so that's fantastic. The other thing is, right, already we've had had the word. Because I thought Bob was just going to carry on and read all my notes, because he preceded it brilliantly at the start. Absolutely superb. So I think what I'll do is I'll just tell you a few jokes and then I'll get off and let God get on with it again. So, anyway. Jim asked his friend, Tony, whether he had bought his wife anything for Valentine's Day. Yes, came the answer from Tony, who was a bit of a chauvinist. I bought her a belt and a bag. Well, well that was very kind of you, Jim added. I hope she appreciated the thought. Tony smiled and replied, so do I. Hopefully the vacuum cleaner will work better now. We can be chauvinists, us fellas. Anyway, a few more. What do squirrels give for Valentine's Day? Forget me nuts. Alright. What did the Valentine card stay to the stamp? Stick with me and we'll go places. Oh, you're not in a jokey mood this morning, are you? I can tell, right? Why did the banana go out with the prune? Because it couldn't get a date. Right, okay, enough of them, we'll move on. So being St. Valentine's Day, how many actually gave, I don't want you to put your hands up because I don't want to embarrass them that didn't, but actually gave a Valentine gift, present or anything this morning to their beloved? Okay, fine, right, okay. Well, I was just looking up on the web and I thought, well, what is Valentine's Day all about? Where did it come from? There's nothing in the Bible about it. It doesn't seem to be a Christian festival. So I contacted Joan Morris of the Contra Costa Time. She's the agony aunt there. And the letter went like this. Dear Joan, was there a real St. Valentine? And if so, what did he do to earn a special day? Did he really encourage people to fall in love? And the answer was like this. Dear Colin, there was a real St. Valentine. In fact, there were quite a few of them. Well, that's a bit of a contradiction straight away, isn't it? Um, The name Valentine, Valentinus, comes from the Latin valens, which means worthy. That's interesting. The St. Valentine, whose feast day is celebrated 14th of February, is a virtual unknown. All that history records is his name and burial place, Via Flamina, north of Rome. It's believed, actually, that he was, uh, whoever he was, whether him, thousands or whatever, were people who actually helped the Christians who were facing persecution um, by showing this kind of sacrificial love. Um, As for how the martyr became associated with roses, chocolates and romantic getaways, it's a bit murky, really. Most scholars attribute it to the writer Geoffrey Chaucer, who appeared to make the connection in a poem. So there you go. We've had some jokes. I've educated you. We've got to look at God's word now and see what he says. Okay. So where does love come from? I mean, that's that's, that's the big thing, isn't it? I mean, you all know that God is love. You don't need me to tell you that. But yet God, what I found preparing for this word, right through his word, is shouting that over and over and over and over and over again. Because we're dead thick and we're dead busy. Right? And we forget in the murkiness and the, the busyness and the tiredness of the day that if we call on his name he'll actually come in and help us. 
because he is a God of love, he is a God who's there for us, he's not against us, he's there for us, and he's there to help us in all our times of trouble. And the other thing we love is, this is something I always find interesting when I'm talking to my kids at school in science, it totally flies in the face of evolution. Because it's totally illogical for a bunch of chemicals to suddenly get clever and then suddenly have emotions. It just is not possible. Think about it. When did you last see a, bunch of, a bottle of carbon suddenly get emotional, start crying? We mix with a bit of oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen. It's totally impossible. So evolution, guys, just doesn't work. So where does love come from? There's only one place it comes from, and that's a creator God. A God who is a whole person, who is fully emotional. So don't believe the lies that we shouldn't be emotional in church, because God's emotional. And it's a great place to cry is in church, amongst people who actually love us. So I looked up in the Bible, and 1 John 4.16 says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If we don't have love, we can't know God. That's what that verse is clearly saying. How can we know this? Because we've got God's word on it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Such a God. Can you imagine God at the crucifixion having to stand back and watch his son, his only begotten beloved son, be flogged, scorned, spat upon, marched up a hill, carrying that cross and be nailed to it. God could have intervened at any moment. He didn't for us. He must have been weeping buckets because he is emotional. We're made in his image and we're emotional, so he must have been emotional. But he knew that through that would come our salvation and the salvation of the world because he loved us so much. That's phenomenal. How else can we know it? Well, there's many stories that exemplify the love of God. Just look at Jesus' ministry. He healed people. He set people free from demons. He delivered them. He gave life back to the dead. And when, in, when the disciples were in danger, he took command over the wind and the waves, proving he was the creator. He has always done people good. He's the father in the prodigal son. The one who is always on the lookout for the son to return. And yeah, he knows he's coming back having squandered all. But he's not going to wag the finger at him like we do as parents at times. Right? He knows the son's guilty. He knows the son's got a conscience and he knows why the son's come home. He's had enough punishment. He is the father of forgiveness. He's the father of restoration and blessing. And he's always on the lookout for one of his children to come home. So much so, the Bible tells us that when one sinner comes to Christ, the angels throw a party in heaven to celebrate. And isn't that just like the father in the prodigal son? Didn't he just throw a party for the one that came home? You see, all his creation, all his people are already his children. It's just that many of us don't know it and we're far off. Right? And some of us get the opportunity to actually accept Christ as our saviour. And then the parties begin. And our life begins. And if our life hasn't begun, we've got to ask ourselves why. Right? If we're a miserable Christian, we have got to ask ourselves why. Because we are the son, <laughs> the son of God. We're adopted into his family. We should be far, you know, example to the world. We should be shining. And if we aren't, well, maybe we've got to get rid of the busyness of the day sometime and come back to God. I don't mean we're away from him, but I mean put him first in our life. God loves his own, his, his creation. 
He sent Jesus, his only son, that none should perish, that all who call on his name would be saved, should have eternal life in a place where there is no suffering, no sickness, no pain, no evil, in relationship with him, just as he had with the first man and woman he created in the Garden of Eden. That's the relationship God wants with us. And of course that's the promise in Revelation with the new heaven and new earth. Because he loves his creation. God is indeed love. Which is scary for those who at the peril don't accept the love of God through Jesus. John 3.19 And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But get this, he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Did you get that? It says, does the truth. Not says the truth, not tells the truth, but does the truth. So, so this love of God that he wants us to have, it's not just about words, it's about deeds as well. And the scary thing that I find is, and it's something that, I don't know, it comes to me when I'm sometimes talking to non-Christians, is that people who don't know God, that people who have not come to God through Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in a place where God isn't. Now that's one thing itself, but God is love. So whatever that is, there is no love there. God is light, so there's no light there. And everything that God is just won't be there. And that should drive us guys to, to want to spread the love of God. Because some people are going to be in that position. Scary. But praise God, verse 21 says, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And of course these words are confirmed in Jesus' words in Matthew 5.16, when he says, You, that's you, me, all of us, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people hide a, uh, sorry, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, my light, every one of us light, because we've got the light, right, shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, it's quite interesting. I was thinking about this the other day when I was talking to somebody. But, you know, we're at Trinity, Wenner and I, and it's a, it's a Christian ethos school. And sometimes it doesn't feel like a Christian ethos school, does it? But, you know, in that school, there's only about, what, two dozen Christians at the most. But that school has transformed the kids in that area. It's transformed the standards. And it's getting recognition from all over the nation. You know? It's like, it's like there's something about God being in the people who are in the, in, if you like, in the, in the driving force positions. That light is actually being seen and being recognised. And so now I gather we've got Don Castorellier wanting to give us skills. Which is quite interesting. So there's something about letting that light in us shine out because it does transform, it does attract and it, you know, it does give glory to God. Never hide our light under a, bush, under a bushel. So to evangelize, we need to be so full of God, so full of his love, so full of his spirit, that we will actually be doing things we never ever thought were possible. Because don't forget, there's no fear in God. Perfect love casts out all fear. So we put that one on side. If we're in God, and God's in us, we've got no reason to fear anything. It's only our flesh that fears. So we, we can actually do things that we never thought were possible. We can actually be a blessing to people. And become a people magnet in the process. 
I, don't, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the early saints, he said he loved to tell people about Jesus. But sometimes he used words. That's an interesting thought, that, isn't it? Sometimes he used words. Not, not he used words first, and then didn't do anything, walked away from them, or whatever, or even prayed for them, or whatever. He just tried to exemplify Christ, I guess, like Mother Teresa did. You know? Just showed love to people. Just showed what God did to them. So thank God for Jesus who gives us this opportunity of experiencing God. Love himself. Thank God we are made in his image. And we can love and be loved. We are loved beyond our wildest expectations by a lover who is love itself. So what should our response be? John, the beloved disciple, has much to say on this. If you get into a concordance and look up the word love, there's yards of it. And it's nearly all in John and it's nearly all in one John. It's amazing. He really did have a love relationship with Jesus and Jesus with him. He was the beloved disciple. And he understood love at its, at its heart. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. It's a bit profound, isn't it? Because <laughs> we're all caught up in the world to some degree. And for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not in the Father, but is of the world. But the world is passing away. And lust, uh, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That, that, there was either thought there, God or me, I'm not sure. But if we're involved, or love, the things of the world, and it is passing away, what is the me going to be left with? What is the balance between the things of the world and the things of God? Because if all the things of the world are passing away, what is going to be me? There's a bit of a challenge there, I think, for me in particular. So the first point is do the will of the Father. John, uh, John, 1 John 2, 24. Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he's promised us, eternal life. So point two is very simply, abide in him. I think we started that or in one of our songs today about abiding in him. John, 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we're children of God now, so what we shall be, mind-blowing. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Point three, we need to purify ourselves, we need to check ourselves out. So we're abiding in him, we need to do his will, and we need to be pure. 1 John 3.10 In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Point four. Practice righteousness, do good, love one another. Now that's sometimes very hard to do. And Natalie, I'd just like you to come out and just share a testimony that's happened to you this week. Um, which just proves the love of God. Come on, Nats, come on out and share it with us. So Wednesday night, there we all were at house group. 
And Natalie was there. Brilliant. Love Natalie. Right? And what happened? Um, <clears throat> I had a little problem with somebody that had gone really quite deep. Um, and the guys in the group said, have you forgiven her? And I said, no, I hate her. <laughs> I'll never forgive her. That's me. And went on to explain why and so on. And so I didn't, I wanted prayer, but not yet, because I weren't actually you weren't there. Up you prayer. weren't there. Um, and then I got prayer and then I thought, okay, I've had prayer, that's, that's good, I do feel better. I had a picture of a, um, like a wire um, in me, like being jabbed and some mm. climbing alone and whatnot. Um, but okay, I had prayer and that's much better. But then I saw the person, I didn't think much else of it until I spoke to someone, then I saw the person and all the feelings of hate and anxiousness and despair and upset and hurt and all them things, they were gone. And I said, oh, your hair looks nice. <laughs> picture on Wednesday night. This was no. reality on oh. Thursday, wasn't oh, it? Oh, sorry, did I not yeah. No, no, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and I was really surprised because I really have been quite chewed up over this person and what's happened and all this business. But, yeah, I smiled and said how nice. And since then I've been thinking, wow, what a nice, not nice, but wow, what a wonderful person. She does this and she does that. And how does she pull that off? That's really quite admirable. And I've been checking myself. Is that really what I'm thinking? Because... Before, I mean, you know, I wasn't thinking thoughts like that at all. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's good. <laughs> and God is a God of love, and he can change us to love the unlovely. You know, we were at Bible college, being a typical sort of POM in Australian society, and in this particular Bible college, I found it at times very, very difficult, very, very challenging, uh, about the way they did things, about the way they said things, and everything else. But one of the things that amazed me there was, those in leadership never saw the people as they were. And they used to teach us this over and over again. It's something I've probably forgotten and God's reminded me of recently. They used to try and see people through God's eyes. And that is totally different to the reality that we see. The hurt, the bitterness, the pain. And that person's done something to me. And daddy, daddy, da. And they always treat people with that kind of courtesy. They always treat people seeing them as God saw them. And, and that's just awesome. That's because that's what you can do now with that woman. You can see her now as God saw her. And who knows what's going to come of that. It's a tremendous testimony. Brilliant. So let's have a look at the outworking of love. 1 John 3.17 Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Whoa, this sounds a bit to me like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. Point five, help those in need. It also sounds like the sheep and the goats dialogue, which immediately follows the parable of the talents. And just to clarify that, that was money. Don't, please don't interpret that as, oh yeah, your spiritual gifts, what, what you can do and all that. No, talents are money. So check that one out, about what we do with our money. But then he goes on to talk about what we do with the, with the things that uh, we've got. Matthew 25:31. Jesus talking about our time and priorities in life. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you are, who are blessed of my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, thirst, or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothing? When did we see sick, or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers, you did for me. And of course the other lot, they get sent away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So there is a righteousness that is because we've accepted Christ as our saviour, but there's also this righteousness which is because of what they did. I think it's a strong hint that the righteous should do the righteous things. The Father's business, if they want to live in the Father's house. There are many godly, Holy Spirit-filled Christians and churches in Doncaster, for that matter, around the world. But what are they really doing? How are they changing their cities? How are they, clo- how are they feeding people? How are they clothing people? How are they standing for justice? James said, faith without works is dead. We're still talking love, by the way. Because this is an outworking of love. James tells us, and looking at the previous scripture and the one of the talents, it appears that one can lose one's right standing if there is no outworking or investment of everything God has put into us. I guess he expects a return for his investment, spreading his love. In the Good Samaritan, the parable of the man mugged on the road, God's people of the day passed the man by. If you like, think of it in today's context, the Christians walk past him. So we often detach ourselves from the fact that, oh, well, they were Jews, and you know. But we are grafted in. <laughs> right? We're grafted in. So we could use that story today and talk about the Christian priest, the spirit-filled Christian, walk past the man. It was the good Samaritan who was acclaimed. You know, if we're going to be a city-wide church, we have to ask ourselves, well, why? What do we want to do that for? We're all busy. Why do we want to be a city-wide church? What difference is it going to make to the town of Doncaster? Because that's what I think we've got to figure out. What's God put into us? Is it just for our sake, so we can have a great time in God, somewhere to meet that's warm, cosy, have a few laughs, things like that? Or is it to roll up our sleeves? And do good works as Jesus commands us to do as well. Many of you know the church where we did Bible college. Hillsong in Sydney. It's renowned, loved, criticised, plagiarised for being a church that's just about its music. Music that's transformed the world in worship by the way. And because it seeks a spirit of excellence and seeks to honour an excellent God in all its ways. It is actually a light on a hill. It's in the Hills District of Sydney which is quite interesting. But one thing that many around the world do not know is that it has a huge social and community undertaking that goes under the heading of Emerge. So it's never ever associated directly with Hillsong. It's actually Hillsong Emerge. And it has stacks of full-time staff. It has stacks of volunteers. It has all sorts, it's involved in all sorts of government programs to transform people, change people's lives. It has qualified psychologists, psychiatrists, Christian ones. It has doctors. It has dentists. It has all sorts of community ways of helping people. Start up in business, working with Aboriginal people. 
It's not really known for that. But it is a huge undertaking. It's millions of dollars a year that goes through Emerge to help people in Sydney and around the world. And I'm just thinking, we need stuff like that in Britain. Because all our churches in Britain tend to be really small, really inward looking, really not really outward looking, most of them, if you think about it. So what is God calling us to be? Moena and I were talking in the car the other day about Moses having to be enlightened by his father-in-law how to delegate. Do you know what? I have always had problems with that. Why does the God of the universe, who gives Moses a tremendous job, tell him how to delegate? He has to send his father-in-law, and thank God he listened to his father-in-law, because many of us don't, do we? We don't even listen to friends and relatives, and yet it might be God speaking to us. It's a bit worldly, that, isn't it? You know, he's having to tell him how to do, like, management techniques. Because that's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, sunshine, why don't you just delegate this job? Make life a lot easier for you. And I just wondered how many times in the Bible God actually says, do something, but he leaves it up to us out to figure out how. Or he sends people along to tell us how. Or we might ask him and then he might tell us how. I just wonder how many times in the Bible there are instances like that. It's a study that I want to do. Because I'm sure it's... It's kind of like God's way. You know, he picks people with the right gifts, the right talents for the job. There's no doubt about it. My worry in all this is, is I just think about how churches can get shipwrecked. They can be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Just waiting on the Lord, just waiting on the Lord. Do you know what really annoys me when I see people who'd spend their... What have you got in your hand? What have you got in your hand? Are you going to use it? What have you got in your hand? I don't want to tell you this story to say anything about me. I'm just telling you this because I, this is how God works, right? Some years ago, 2006, we wanted to go and visit our daughter in Australia. So Carrie went out ahead of me because the flights were a heck of a lot cheaper before June the 21st. And we had some vouchers as well to get the price down even more. And I went out separately when school broke up. And I just had this, um, out of the blue, thought, hey, I haven't seen Jerry in Singapore for a long time. Now, I hadn't seen Jerry in Singapore, I was a church there, for five or six years. And I thought, yeah, maybe I'll go through Singapore and connect with him and just see how he's doing. So I did, and when I got off the plane, Jerry was there to meet me. He's a lovely Chinese Singapore Christian. He's full on for God, full on for revival. Right, all that kind of thing. But it was the strangest visit I'd ever had with Jerry, because I never got to meet his family this time. And I always get to meet his family. It was just me and him for three solid days. And on the second day, towards the end of the day, we, oh, there was a Christian conference going on. He didn't take me to that. We went and visited, but that was it. And he just wanted to spend time with me, it seemed. And I thought, this is really weird. Because, like, you know, I've just come for a visit. <laughs> you know, I've just popped in. But what I discovered was, what was actually going on was, God had given him a thing, which was, like, over the road from the red light district. Now Jerry is from a very upper class Singapore background. His father was Chargé d'Affaires of Singapore in America and in Britain. So, you know, he's up there, that level. And Jerry was panic-stricken because God had given him a building right on the corner of the red light district. What, he was, what was he supposed to do with this? So Jerry did the Jerry thing, went into prayer, called the whole church to three years of prayer every night. Every night that church met and prayed. Right? <coughs> And out of the blue, I just come along and say, well, why do you think God's given you this building here? He probably wants you to do something. Because what I discovered was, was that in that area, there was a lot of Chinese girls who come into Singapore illegally, and of course they end up in prostitution. 
And I said, hang on a minute, what's your problem? I said, you know, you're Chinese, they're Chinese, what's the problem? And he says, but we don't speak Chinese. And I said, well, what do you speak? He said, English. Because, of course, he'd been educated in America at Oral Roberts University and all over the place, and all his people did. They were all that class in Singapore. So we thrashed this thing through, and eventually we, we, looked, we had a walk around the place, and it really is a nasty place, believe you me, it really is. I would not want to go there again. And I looked around, and there was food everywhere, so I thought, well, doing food kitchens here is not going to be any good, is it? Because food's so cheap. So how are they going to reach these girls? And then I think it was on the second night, or maybe it was on the last night, something like that. I was having dinner, and one of the girls in his church, I was sat next to her. And I said, oh, what do you do? You know, we do. And she says, she said, actually, I've just bought the franchise, she says, for, uh, was it TEFL courses in Singapore, which is teaching foreigners English. And I said, oh, that's nice. Never thought any more about it. Left it at that. Anyway, a few weeks later, I got a note from Jerry. Do you know what they come up with? They were going to give English lessons to Chinese girls. And they set up a course and they've seen girl after girl after girl come to the Lord and set free from prostitution. They've now got every story in this building. They've got beds in that building. They've got rooms in that building where they can minister to people. They're open for anybody here or anybody that, that we recommend to go out and work with them. We sent a girl out a few years ago, didn't we, from Doncaster. And just be blessed and just do some work on the streets of Singapore. And it's, you know, it's an amazing story. It's a huge difference. Yeah, we've got to wait on God, but we've also got to do what's in our hand. I'll give glory to God for that. But the question is, is what will our part be, my part, individually, your part as individuals, in this new church? Will we be players or spectators? How can we transform and influence change for good in this town, in this city, wherever we planted, through the will and the power of the Holy Spirit? I think maybe as I think we're getting closer and closer to where God wants us to be building wise that we should start individually asking God and getting excited what his personal vision for us in that is the context of it for reaching out, for being part, for being active in the town I think John F. Kennedy summed it up like this I can never remember the third line but he says well if not you, who? And if not now, when? I just want to throw that out as a personal challenge. We need to be thinking about what our personal vision is, what our personal part is going to be in this church that God obviously wants to plant here to touch Doncaster. Because there's thousands of spectators, isn't there, in football matches, but there's only like 22 who are players. So I think we've got to you know, think about stuff there. 1 John 3.18 My little children... <laughs> to reiterate what I've just said really let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him for if our hearts condemn us God is greater than our heart and knows all things beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence toward God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. And he gave us this commandment. So it is a team game. Yeah, we're all individuals, all got a part to play in it. But loving one another is definitely a big key in it. And we can ask him, because we keep his commandments, we can ask and receive from him. He'll show us, he'll tell us. 
Funny thing is, when it comes to the word love in the Bible, unlike English, Greek is a marvellous language. We have only one word for love, love. And these days it's really been twisted to mean sex. Let's be honest, that's, that's really what it means to most people in the world. You know, trouble is that's very selfish. That's about me gratifying my needs to other people. And today it's like, unless a person is having many sexual partners, they're not loved. And to many, love is very self-centred, gratifying the self and the base nature. The Greeks covered that base, they had a word eros. It involves the emotional need to elicit physical love and affection. Beautiful expression in general, from the one you love. It's about taking. That's why I didn't ask you at the start, who'd received a Valentine this morning? Right? It's not Eros love, but you know what I mean? It's about receiving, is that? That's why I think in Britain we say it's better to give than receive. Maybe it's from our Christian roots. In most contexts, that love involves uh, a romantic kind of love, but it's an intimate love, sexual love, an erotic love. And I don't know whether you know about the travesty that happened to Lord Shaftesbury, but he was a guy down in London or somewhere like that. I think he was a, obviously in House of Lords. But he was a, a great man of God. And one of the things he did was he brought the ragged schools into being. He brought schooling and education in for poor, poverty-stricken children. And so somebody, in their wisdom, when he died, agreed to build a monument to him. But you know what they did? They built Eros in Piccadilly Circus. They put a monument of erotic love to a guy who was further away from erotic love for the deeds he'd done. And the other amazing thing, talk about spiritual warfare, what is on the corner of that? Soho. <laughs> put a monument down to a god that's all about sexual love, and we wonder why Soho springs up around it. Then there's other, the other word, this storge, and that's parental love, totally different again. Filio. It's one of the love words of the Bible in the New Testament. It's the love of a person. Um, it's not sensual love, but it's the desire of a person, or the desire of an object that gives us pleasure. Like, like we can fill your Jesus. We want more of Jesus. We love Jesus. He gives us pleasure. We love the Holy Spirit. That's the filial love. Uh, but that word is probably used about 10% in comparison to 90% of the next word in the Bible when God's talking to us, and that's agape love. And there's mega differences between the two because philia is natural, agape is learned. Philia is emotional, agape is volitional, or you choose to do it. Philia is discriminatory, agape is non-discriminatory. Philia is conditional, agape is unconditional. Philia is for pleasure, agape is because of its preciousness for what it actually is. Philia is about delight, it's about liking, it's because of, and it fails. Whereas agape is about esteem, esteeming others, esteeming other people. It's about prizing, putting them in a position of, like, they're a prize. It's in spite of, not because of, and it never, ever fails. And that's the love that Jesus speaks of, the New Testament speaks of, over and over again to the Christian. We're called to walk in love. But it's agape love. It's a love of choice. And that's why with the power of God behind us, we can choose to love the unlovely. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.